Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Doc Wesson, and in this episode of The Gun Nation, Average Joe reviews an old savage, and it's a pistol. We discuss SIG getting the contract award from the military on their new modular handgun. What does SIG have to go through now? We answer an email about the new Mossberg Shockwave 590. Is that going to be good for home defense? Could it be that Remington is having a problem with their RP9? We finish it up by talking a little bit about the NRA and the candidates for the board. All that and more in this episode of The Gun Nation. It all begins right now. Everybody's doing good, and you know we have the shot show, and we've got of course uh, Average Joe, and we've got uh, Paul Carlson, Mister. I didn't get sick at the shot show this year. I made it. I didn't get sick last year either because I skipped it. But hey. yeah, <laughs> now I got sick, but did not go to the shot show. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. Well, but that was during Christmas, so it's all good. It's all good. But uh, yeah, so. Uh, so it was a good show, I guess. You, you, I was watching where you were posting and some of the stuff that you put up. Uh, good pictures, obviously. Thanks, thanks. I had some fun. I had mm-hmm. a good time. It was a good show. Mm-hmm. Great. And then, uh, uh, I guess, man, I'll tell you what. Let's just get started because we got quite a bit here. Let's do it. Let me just tamp these things down. Oh, and Joe, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm fine. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't mean to save the best for last there. You know, um, as a matter of fact, why don't since we've just got Joe talking, let's just throw him right in there. He has got a review of a savage, but it's not what you're thinking. It's a pistol. Won't you? I see these pictures are excellent. Uh, talk, talk, talk to us, man. All right. Well, uh, as always, we invite everybody to go over to average joe's handgun reviews.blogspot.com so you can see the photos we're talking about and um you know occasionally you're looking around for something on gun broker and you score uh you find a good item uh at a good price uh and this one is vintage this is the savage model 1907 in 32 acp the Pistol actually began life, I guess, as the 45 ACP that Savage uh, submitted to the U.S. Army trials in 1905-1906. Uh, 
um, almost one with with this design and a 45 ACP. But of course, as we all know, that went to Colt. And so Savage looked at it and decided they should shrink it down into a pocket pistol in 32. Uh, those were very, very popular at the time. And this one was popular um, as well. It you know, kind of reeks of uh, an Art Deco design. I love the styling um, of the pistol. But there are a lot of unique things that uh, went into the design of this handgun, as well as how they, how they marketed it. So, you know, let's start off with some of those design features. If you're looking at the rear uh, of the slide, you see a uh, knurled, piece of metal that would appear to most people to be a hammer, but it is not a hammer. It is a cocking indicator. This gun is actually striker-fired, so it's not hammer-fired. It is an early uh, striker-fired pistol. Uh, another interesting thing about it is the slide rides inside the frame, which we more commonly associate with uh, the SIG P210 and the CZ-75 uh, uh, pistols coming out of uh, the Czech Republic. Uh, so we tend to think of that as at least a post-World War II design. And in fact, um, I'm not claiming that this is the original version, but this is an inside the uh, uh, frame writing slide. So very, very interesting. And you'll notice if you look at it, that's similar to the CZs for those who have handled them. There is not a lot of room on that slide to grasp it, to retract it. So they have put in some very, very positive, thick, and wildly spaced uh, cocking serrations. The other interesting thing is that this fires from a 10-round double-stack magazine. So this was the first early pistol to have... Uh, you know, a higher capacity than seven or eight uh, rounds and uh, to incorporate a double stack magazine. And perhaps I'm, I could be incorrect by saying it was the first, but it certainly is an early model. When we tend to think of uh, double stacks, we either think of the Browning High Power or the Smith & Wesson Model 59. But uh, nay, nay, this design goes all the way back to... Uh, 1905. Um, also, the magazine release, and we'll see a better picture of this later, but the magazine release is on the front strap of the grip uh, down at the bottom. So a lot of unique things that one may not have realized was out there um, prior to 1920, but uh, certainly uh, uh, was in these pistols. The next thing that's rather unique is how they marketed this pistol. Um, th this pistol was marketed very widely to women, which is something we think may be of a more, uh, you know, modern uh, tactic with the Ladysmith and Nighthawk's Ladyhawk and all sorts of other handguns that are being uh, advertised to women. Um, this one back in, uh, you know, 1909 was being marketed towards women. They were marketing it as a very safe um, pistol. 
they were marketing it as one of their one of their slogans was 10 shots quick uh, you'll see that in a lot of their advertising they talk about how the ergonomics of the pistol makes it as easy to aim as uh, uh, pointing your finger so there are I have just chosen one example here of the many many advertisements uh, that they did towards women and you kind of see almost a little bit of that in the next advertisement and first of all one of the things that you'll see right away is that the pistols being uh, endorsed by Buffalo Bill Cody uh, and he applauds it as being the banisher of burglar fear which I think uh, ties into the prior ad we just looked like or excuse me looked at and uh, Buffalo Bill goes on to say that uh, he took the uh, Savage 1907 out along with his old um, 44 Army revolver and has decided that he likes the way this pistol shoots and he certainly likes the capacity. Uh, so he says that it has replaced his uh, 44 Army for um, everyday carry. And going on to the next advertisement, um, this one shows an endorsement from legendary Army Scout and lawman um, Bat Masterson. Um, and, uh, you know, along with being uh, an Army Scout and uh, sheriff of Dodge City, uh, Bat Masterson was also, during his scouting days, present at the Second Battle of uh, Adobe Walls. And if you don't know what that is, I'm not going to take the time to, to go into it now, but it's a fascinating story, and I would uh, encourage everybody to to look that up, what was the uh, second battle of uh, Adobe Walls. But uh, again, in this advertisement, they use the slogan of uh, 10 shots quick, and Bat Masterson uh, uh, advises that the pistol is uh, safer and easier to carry than a revolver, uh, it is powerful with a 32 uh, caliber cartridge. I think we might argue that a little bit. Um, it's fairly lightweight uh, at 19 ounces, which would have been, you know, fairly lightweight at the time. Um, it's fairly short at six and a half inches. Certainly, we have more powerful guns that are smaller now, but this was a revolution and a revelation at that period of time. And the gun is very flat. Uh, and so he talks about how well it rides into or uh, fits into the pocket. In the next photo, I have broken down the uh, pistol, uh, field stripped it, and you'll see the section of the pistol that's uh, um, at the bottom of the photo in between the uh, grip frame and the magazine. That is the firing mechanism. That has the uh, that knurled piece of metal in it that is the cocking indicator. And it's kind of an interesting pistol, interesting design to break down. You retract the slide as far as it will go. You push the safety into the up position, and that's what locks the uh, slide open. Um, the slide does not have a slide stop on it so it does not uh, lock open after the last shot but to break it down you retract the slide put the uh, safety in the up position which locks that slide open 
and you then twist that firing mechanism um, a quarter turn to the right, it will then pull out uh, of the rear of the uh, slide and the rest of the slide will go forward. Um, you'll have the spring there and uh, you can easily lift the barrel out. I thought it might, I thought at first it might fire from a fixed barrel, um, but it does not. So going on to the next slide, you'll see the kind of unique safety lever. Uh, it is not kind of the traditional type of safety that we're used to seeing. Um, it uh, swings back and up um, into the notch in the slide um, marked safe. And then it uh, swings down into the uh, uh, fire position, which is nicely marked along the frame uh, as well. And you just kind of push the slide down until it makes contact with the uh, grip. Um, the grip, I love it. I love the Savage uh, uh, Chief uh, in the middle of the circle that says Savage Quality. It is a very nice vintage um, design and really speaks um, of the interesting uh, features that they put on the uh, pistol. Sorry, I'm, I'm wrestling with a dog right now. Um, next up in the next photo is the photo of or this is the image of the magazine release that rides along the bottom of the front strap, and you'll see kind of a checkered piece at the bottom. You are supposed to be able to push that in with your little finger, and then the slide will drop free. I have not mastered um, that yet, being able to push that in. I, I have to drop my middle finger down, which may explain why in the uh, uh, future version of this pistol, they moved that magazine release checkered button lever spot further up the grip frame uh, so that it could be accessed by your middle finger. Uh, in the next photo, you can see the top of the knurled um, cocking indicator, and you'll also see the rear sight uh, match that up with the next photo front sight. And this is again uh, back in time where sights apparently didn't matter all that much because a lot of the pistols, um, you think of the Colt Pocket Hammerless Model 1903, uh, they just didn't have much in the way of sights, even some other Browning designs uh, also. Next up, we're looking at uh, the targets. Uh, the targets were fired at 21 feet. This is a pocket pistol. It's a short-range um, uh, firearm. It's meant for close encounters, so there was no real need for me to try to roll the target down to 25 yards and, and see if I could hit it. We're going to go with 21 feet, which will uh, encompass most of the encounters this pistol would come into. Um, all of the ammunition used on this target was Remington um, full metal jacket ammo. Um, I will point out there are five target diamonds on this target. Uh, I only shot at the top three, the large one in the middle and the two in the upper right and upper left-hand corner. 
the um, rounds you see towards the bottom of the target were flyers. Uh, they were aimed at the center of the target, not uh, uh, down in that uh, neck of the woods. Uh, going to the next slide, or excuse me, photo. Um, I have shot this target with two different types of uh, uh, ammunition, again at 21 feet. The center diamond and the shots that are around the center diamond were PMC uh, jacketed hollow points. And they got pretty good uh, accuracy, certainly good for man-sized center mass uh, accuracy. But I did have, uh, in the 20 rounds that were shown there, I did have one failure to feed with uh, uh, each magazine full. So uh, one out of 10, there was a stoppage. Uh, down in the lower right-hand corner uh, is five rounds of uh, Hornady jacketed hollow point. And that's kind of a zippy round. It's moving at 1,000 feet per second. And uh, I did not have any stoppages with the um, Hornady. So if I were to carry this, and, you know, at some point I probably will, although it will be backed up by a larger caliber gun, certainly, uh, I would probably go with what I usually do with 380s, which is to have one hollow point followed by um, jacketed uh, 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 hardball and uh, intermix the hollow points and the hardballs uh, thusly. So it's an interesting little pistol. Uh, I enjoy shooting it um, quite a bit. It's kind of a conversation piece, but it's also kind of a neat piece of firearms history because if you, you know, um, they started working on this in 1905. Uh, this is designated the 1907. I think they first hit the market in 1909. This is kind of a transitional firearm um, whereas people were moving from revolvers into semi-automatic pistols, and I think it's got a, a really neat history. Doc, Paul? Well, you know, what I find interesting is the fact that it's a striker fire, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 10 rounds, and this is coming from revolvers going into semi-automatics. So it's like kind of a foreshadowing of the way things are today to a certain degree right yeah. i mean absolutely yeah pretty pretty cool gun in a lot of different ways um any idea who the designer was for savage back then oh no i don't that that would be interesting to find out and i, I don't i don't expect you to know that right off the top of your head because i mean i didn't even know this gun existed so but i'm, I'm looking at it, i'm thinking to myself you know where did this lead next and obviously if savage you know, stop producing handguns not too long after that. What, 1920s or something like that? 1920s when they kind of stopped, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you wonder where that that information went. You know, how did it carry over? How do we get from there to the, to the you know, the not the VP9, but the, the Volks pistol in the 70s? That's a yeah. huge gap of 50 years. Yeah. And kind of another thing will be interesting to research is why did they stop? Because this mm -hmm. pistol was fairly popular. I mean, there were several hundred thousand um, uh, copies of it made, and they progressed through three different variations. The second variation eliminated the um, cocking indicator, okay. and the, uh, so the, the whole 
backside of the pistol was smooth. Uh, there was nothing, you know, protruding on the outside of it. Um, and then the version that followed that uh, did away with the internal shroud design and went back to a cocking indi indicator, but this time it was a hooked piece of metal. But why did they decide to stop? Um, did somebody buy them out? Did, did somebody pay them to stop producing pistols? Yeah. Uh, you know, was there some type of legal matter that the company wanted to avoid? It'd be interesting to know why they ceased production. Yeah, you know, and, and that was right before Prohibition too, right? So, you know, maybe yeah. that was a tough time for gun companies like we were anticipating this time to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I, I, it's amazing. I didn't I, – I mean, I guess I knew that Savage had made pistols. I do remember that, but never really even thought about it. And when I saw all the pictures you'd sent to us, I was like, holy cow, <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, and, and it is a good specimen of the way the era era was. I mean, just yeah. to look at it, uh, just kind of reeks with the, uh, like you said, reeks with the, um, I guess, the history of how it looks. Uh, what would you call it? Art Deco? Art Deco. Yeah. yeah, I would say that's a good description. Uh, so, very good. And so, you're going to say something, Paul? Yeah, do you see the similarities between another uh, old pistol that became a more modern pistol that probably worked better when it was older and it was also a thirty two ACP? The way the <laughs> the way the recoil spring is around the barrel. And so that's that's one of the things I'm wondering is, you know, is this pistol a Pedersen design? Now I don't I, That's a good point. I don't know. I don't know that's a the, good point. the era maybe. he was designing pistols, but I wonder I'm just thinking maybe Savage ought to take on a pistol again. Maybe one that's it. in the nine millimeter. You know, when when you when you get a one hundred plus year old gun that functions better than right. yeah, right. Um, you know, and there had to be there had to be a little bit. I mean, the only thing I did before I shot it was oiled it. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't break it down for cleaning. I subsequently have. But this gun, this gun rocks. It, it it works. That is amazing to me. And and I've just I really like the fact that it's a striker fire that early. Right. Because right. I mean that kind of almost that really answers the question. Because at one point I was starting to think, well, when was the striker fire invented? Was it always a hammer fire before? And then bam, here comes striker fire. Uh, very interesting. That's <laughs> it's, it's well, just really unique. Albert you know, H. Searle. <laughs> Is what Probably I'm one of the reasons you're not all that familiar with it yeah. is this didn't get a lot of play in the movies. Uh, um, whereas the Colt 1903, 1908 pocket hammerless, yeah. you know that those were used in uh, a multitude of films. You know Humphrey yeah. Bogart in Casablanca to. Um, who framed Roger Rabbit? Right uh, to Patton. I mean, there's there's just a whole gamut, a whole bunch of Humphrey Bogart fi films like Key Largo and and uh, Desperate Hours and others where uh, that is used. And according to the Internet Movie Firearms Database, mm -hmm. the only film that th there aren't that many films where this pistol is used. Uh, the one that was probably the most prominent is in Road to Perdition, Road to Perdition 
this was the pistol that Jude Law used to kill Tom Hanks at the end of the movie. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I guess the Savage, you know, Colt was, has been, I don't mean this in a derogatory sense, because clearly this is, you know, I think a, a wonderful specimen of, of the whole era and the gun itself, period. So, but I guess Colt, by the name, is more sexy or something. I don't know. Maybe that was it. Uh, it it's bizarre, though. I, I, Well, getting back to what Paul said, maybe they ought to take on... <laughs> Take on a <laughs> so so I've just been clicking away here on the Googles and uh, the original patent for that pistol belongs to Albert H Searle, mm-hmm. who that's a new name for me. He's got at least four patents that I found already. And this is the coolest one so far. It was a 1918 patent where quote certain features of the invention relate to a grip constructed of relatively movable members, which may be made to approach each other by gripping and then return to normal positions by means of a suitable spring, and which will by these movements perform the functions of loading and cocking the firearm. So a squeeze cocker. A squeeze cocker. Now, but it looks like to me from, I guess it is front to back, a straight squeeze cocker. Right. Similar to the uh, HK P7 M13. Uh Uh-huh. So this is, you know, again, 1918, we're looking at a semi-auto squeeze cocker. Maybe. Did Did that ever go into production? Don't know the answer to that. That's a great question, Joe. Don't know the answer. How strange is it that, I mean, is... All this was so futuristic back then. <laughs> yeah, but, but so so let's think about why did these things, if they didn't make it Why didn't they take off? Because we had World War One, quickly mm-hmm. followed by World War II. Hmm. And, and innovation wasn't the important part then. It was getting lots of guns out there. Right. It's production. Wow. Pretty interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. I need to go through some of these old patents because they're clearly right. out now. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and just we can start from scratch. It's Remington's plan. <laughs> speaking, <laughs> speaking of it, and I'm thinking Savage ought to take on a nine millimeter and call it the S fifty one. Maybe they can do a good job with it. Just saying. You know they could. Just saying. Well, they could take this design mm-hmm. and scale uh, it. Scale it. Yeah. To, you know, keep it small. Turn it into a nine millimeter. I mean. Wouldn't take a much to, you know, make a ten round magazine for it. I'm thinking we need to contact Savage. I'm liking what they're doing lately with some of the stuff they're putting out. They've, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. we talked about that last last time. I mean, it just, you know, Savage, get on it, baby, do it. Maybe you're the new, you know, pistol company of the world, you know, coming on or something. They've always been fairly reasonable in price, and they've had very accurate fire, you know, rifles for, uh, for the price. I mean, so hey. Go for it, man. That's what I'd do. But speaking, speaking of Remington, <laughs> and we're not going to talk about the R51. We're just not going to, even though I just mentioned it and therefore did talk about the R51. Um, they came out, of course, you know, not too long ago with the uh, R as RP9, uh, big old full size service nine millimeter um, polymer. Uh, striker fire that uh, will never be adopted by any military or no. police agency. <laughs> no, no, and I'm assuming did they come out with a compact version yet? <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> they may not, folks. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm a, it, it, okay, so uh, mili- I, one of the uh, YouTube channels I like to watch from time to time is the Military Arms Channel. It's MAC Military Arms Channel. You guys kind of 
I mean, uh, Paul, you you, you peruse yeah, it I, occasionally. Yeah, I, I stay up with what's going on. Cut to the links from here yeah. from time to time. Do you uh, do you ever watch that, uh, Joe? Uh, occasionally, mm-hmm. I start okay. watching the the video you're going to reference this morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. Basically, the uh, from time to time he's got some pretty interesting stuff as far as uh, uh, you know ammunition, uh, different things. He like and one of the things I kind of enjoyed was when he was shooting three eighties and he was shooting different types of ammunition and uh, ballistic gel and you know for what it's worth, I mean it's it's, it's pretty good. I kind of enjoyed it. Um, but I'll say that he got his hands on an RP nine and uh, started shooting it at the. Very beginning, <laughs> I was telling telling these guys uh, before the show started. At the very beginning, um, he uh, he basically had the gun and said, "Man, that's really really top heavy." And of course, he didn't have the magazine in, but he or maybe he did. I don't remember. But he set the he set the thing down on like you know at the table, and it's so top heavy it rolled over to where the grip was. Not sticking straight up, I mean, you know, but it was angled up. And, I mean, you know, so it's extremely top-heavy. Kind of like it had keeled over. It killed over. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I think that's a, I think that's a design um, feature because uh, the, the grip is pointing up for you to be able to grab it easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. The optimist. Average Joe the optimist. I'm telling you, he's looking at the sunny side of Remington. Uh, but so at any rate, he he shoots a few rounds and says, "Okay." And they're ball ammo, you know. I want to say it was still uh, still case stuff, and uh, so he's shooting, and um, it's it's going okay. Then he starts loading the mags full. I think there's like what uh, seventeen, eighteen round, right? Eighteen rounder, yeah. And uh, catastrophic jam. <laughs> yeah. And it just basically. Uh, what it looked like was uh, it would, uh, after he took the shot, the slide would come back. The 17th round would take a nosedive and get up under, like, the loading ramp, right? Mm-hmm. So it was really screwing the nose of the next round up. The uh, case of the round he just shot uh, was still hung in there by the, I guess, the extractor, right? Yeah, extractor was still holding it. Didn't yeah, and and he could not retract the slide because you know you've got the tip of the barrel and everything. Where, not the tip is in the front. I'm talking about how it tips, and that other round was jamming it down in there to where you know it, he couldn't get it back. And so you know he cleared it. Uh, basically, the first time I think he dropped the mag out and cleared it all that way. Looked at how it just damaged the nose of it. And he tried it with the 17 rounds and I. As as time went along, as he was shooting, I think it it did it first with the eighteen rounds, and then it started doing with the eighteen and the seventeenth round, and then he was he was consistently having issues with it at that point. And I mean, what do you think, guys? <laughs> mm. <laughs> Another winner, or I mean, I, I, to be fair, it could have been a you know just a one that's you know you got a lemon in every group of something, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I'd like to think that. Right. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, three releases in a row? Three in a row, man. Th- three in a row, and there are so many people putting out polymer pistols now. That this work. Is, this is not magic. Yeah. Yep. I know it. I mean, there are there are less expensive 9 millimeters 
full size out there that aren't as full size as this thing is that are less expensive and and you know Joe as you're saying actually give good service too so yeah. I, I I don't know I, I'll say I've not shot one I've not held one um, I don't know anybody who has got the guts to get one <laughs> except for you Paul well, uh, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. Oh, got come on. You're going you're gonna to put it inside the R51. on the way right now, and the <laughs> R51 is still in the box. And, and, and like, I almost don't even want to take it out to find out how bad it is. Because, uh, like, uh, at this point in time, I, I don't, what, how am I going to help the situation? Like, Remington's not listening. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they've got this pistol coming out, Remington's not listening. Um it's it's a uh, it's a disaster. They obviously have issues with test protocols. Uh-huh. They obviously have an issue with uh, the corporate culture that's there at Remington. Um, I question who it is that's designing these handguns and who's making the decisions as to as to how it is that they're going to be brought to market. I mean, this this gun's been on the drawing board for three years. Yeah, like I've I've known that this gun existed for three years, and it's taken them that long to get it this bad. That makes no sense. Well. I guess if you bought one, look for a case from Pelican coming. <laughs> Pelican case coming your way. And you're gonna like, man. Just think if you got an R51 and the RP9, you are just gonna be stocked up on Pelican cases. That's all I gotta say. I believe it. It's a shame. It really is. And now, granted, I mean, you know, again, uh, have you heard any other? Uh, have you heard any other? You know, I guess reviews or anybody talk about having the same issues or. Any anybody I talked to that went to Shot Show came back unimpressed, uh-huh. and, and that was just people that handled it at the booth. Oh uh, yeah, now, I, interesting. I didn't go to the booth. <laughs> like that's where I'm at with Remington. That, like walked past it multiple times. Uh huh. There's like even, oh Paul Carlson. Yeah, they probably would have uh, immediately <laughs> tackled me if they were aware that anybody yeah, you just actually disappeared. Paid attention to the products, but <laughs> yeah, we don't know where Paul went. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I just know that that's just doesn't bode good for them because, you know, at this point, especially with the the R fifty one, and it, it's not as much that I guess that the gun had mechanical issues and they put it out. It's the mere fact. Number one, I guess they put it out knowing they had problems. Mm-hmm. Number two, they handled it so poorly, mm-hmm. and had they said, okay, yeah, we've got some issues here. We're going to bring all these back. We're going to give everybody a free Pelican case, and we're going to return your gun, uh, you know, a, a new version of it, and we'll keep you abreast as to how that's coming. But mm-hmm. instead, you know, you got the Pelican case, I guess. <laughs> but if you gave them your gun, you got, I, from what I understand, no real information as to when you were going to get it back, and it just went on and on and months. on. 18 months, yeah. You know, they didn't. I, now again, I never owned one and I never turned one in. But the people that I do know did that. Um, were saying, you know, they kept or didn't really weren't apprised of the situation as to when they were going to, you know. So I, I just would, man, I don't know. They're going to be scrutinized over everything at this point. Well, they deserve to be. Um, you know, I I, I heard a, a great story at Shot Show that I cannot share about a company that's doing a great job. Mm-hmm with quality control mm-hmm. and I'm waiting on approval to be able to share that story. And, and when that comes through, I will, but I walked away from that conversation and I looked at the people that I was with and I said, this is what the industry needs. Mm-hmm. The, this, this company is not releasing a product because it's not functioning with one very specific component that isn't theirs. Right. 
It's from somebody else. And they now have identified the problem is with that component. However, they know that it's likely the consumer may mix those two things together and therefore they can't in good conscience release it. See, the problem isn't theirs. Doing the it right. That's exactly right. Doing it right. And this is a company that does it, has done it right before. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to, to spill the beans on what that actually is. But, you know, it, it just takes it just takes good quality ethics. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that goes and a long way. I mean, huge. because I, I look at that as a consumer and say, hey, man, <laughs> I trust these guys. And, and that's everything, right? I mean, yep. And I mean, hey, they've been doing it for 10 years now, mm-hmm. this company. Yeah. You know, big 10 year anniversary. Giving it away, aren't you? A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting. I'm I'm very I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm disappointed. Uh, I'm hoping this is a one-off. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, clear my throat. They don't, um, uh, Joe. Like you're saying, top-heavy. I guess they're you know people aren't considerably impressed over it. Um, but I was hoping, even with the Me Too and coming to the market late, but they're getting back in, trying to get back into the pistol area arena that it would at least function it could be heavy and kind of like you know not something you'd want to carry but if you bought one you could enjoy shooting it you know (laughs) but i don't know again i i guess we can't go off of this one one thing but um but we're not going off on one thing i mean we've got we've got the original not the original r51 but the r51 introduced what four years ago and then we've got the uh, 380 that came out and yeah. problems with that and then the new r51 we're seeing s- the same problems with that and you know quality control and now we've got this r9 and it's not one i mean this might just be one gun mm-hmm. but it's one gun in a you know a, in a long line of yeah a fire hose of guns yeah and then of course that aren't functioning the whole thing with marlin and right. you know the right. quality issues there and which i mean i've been hearing that they're better now but I've not gotten my hands on a new one to see, so. I don't know. I don't either. That's a shame, because I really want it to work. I really do. But, you know, so they got this great big old brick of a 9 millimeter that, again, as a service model, was it you, Joe, that said uh, they're never going to be able to get yeah. it? Okay, and even if they got it to work, right, they wouldn't. And But there is a company that has gotten into the service yeah. market in the U.S. big Big, big time. And I'm going to let you, Paul, take full reins on this one. <laughs> I don't know about that. Cause, yeah. Because I actually, I actually want some input from you, Doc. If, uh, if I'll try to help. I'll try this, to help. You know, this is, when we get into government contracts, it gets pretty, uh, pretty crazy. Yesterday, I spent the majority of my day reading uh, the solicitation for the modular handgun uh, contract that the U.S. government put out in 2012 I think originally it came mm-hmm. out and basically on Thursday night right around 4:45 p.m. somebody from a news agency came to the 6 hour booth and said hey how are you guys doing okay like, hey, you know it's a pretty good show and then said well you know you might even like this better and showed them the press release from the DOD saying that 6 hour had been awarded the MHS contract the mm-hmm. XM17 contract for the SIG P320 and so of course uh Pretty exciting time. I didn't make it to SIG in time. I mean, the show floor was just about closing. I was in a meeting and tried to get out as soon as my stone, phone started to blow up with uh, text messages. But mm-hmm. uh, um, headed there the next morning and, and of course, got the dreaded no comment. 
Um, it, it is. It is what it is. That's because everybody was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> they may have been celebrating. I, I won't comment either way on that. But uh, um, basically what it comes down to is, you know, we're now entering what's called a protest period. And mm-hmm. there's 100 days, it sounds like, that companies have to be able to file and have protests heard. Yeah. And we've seen this with M4 contracts and mm-hmm. things before where stuff has actually come out. Um, but long story short, you know, for, for several years now, companies have been working hard to try and secure this contract. And what the military was looking for is they wanted um, a, a hardware submission of handguns that would have an integral rail, an external safety mechanism, adjustability for ergonomics by means of grip inserts, grip panels, front or back straps, different triggers, or other means, and something other than single action only. Mm-hmm. And that was the extent of the the ideas that the government gave as to what it is that they were looking for. They also indicated they wanted to have better overall terminal performance with the round chosen. Mm-hmm. They wanted to have better ergonomics for the shooter in general um, and a couple of other features. But, I mean, everything is super vague. And people have estimated that companies have spent – upwards of a million dollars in participating in this this trial system where they deselected down to a single vendor, which at this point in time is Sig Sauer for the P320. So it's a pretty exciting time for Sig Sauer and for the P320 that's, you know, now looking like it's destined to replace the the M9, the Beretta. Yeah. And and over the Beretta, outstanding pistol in comparison. What'll be interesting to see is how it uh, how it stacks up, how it performs. You know, right now, if I understand correctly, SIG is um, tens of thousands of guns behind in production on the P320 as it is. Ruh-roh. And now we've got a $580 million contract yeah. that includes not only um, pistols, but also parts and ammunition and the whole shebang. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you, uh, suppressor kits, the whole the whole nine yards. Yeah, if you're if you're going to be, um, let me tell you, if you're going if you're looking to get one of those. You know, as far as uh, the civilian market and they are behind, which they're going to make. Let me tell you, the military is going to get the attention from them. Oh, they have to. So if at this point in time, the contract is probably going to read just like ammunition contracts read that the military is the first receiver of pistols. I'm Mm -hmm. sure that that's that there are delivery deadlines that are very specifically set for when these pistols need to. So if you're looking to get one, you better go now. (laughs) Well, you know? I've got a fairly good relationship with SIG. I mean, I spent mm-hmm. uh, on Tuesday a good amount of time, probably 90 minutes in the booth, you know, shooting video. And it was great. Not only because, not only was the video fun to shoot, but I was getting to hang out with some of my friends that I've known for years. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the pistol handgun manager, Phil Strader. Um, you know, Matt Rice is a great guy that's with Blue Heron Communications. And so, you know, I'm hanging out with these guys and yeah, absolutely, Paul. We'll get you. It's going to be a little while. We'll get you P320. Yeah. But, you know, just be patient and, and we'll get you on the list. We are behind in production. We'll get you taken care of. I went in on Friday morning and I said, Matt, Phil, you know, so now this is more urgent for me. They're like, man, if you want to cover this, you got to go buy one. Oh, Plain gosh. and simple. You yep. know, it's we, we just can't afford to give away guns to writers at this point in time. Yeah. Um, so I've got one on the way. It should be here tomorrow. So awesome. Um, I'm what looking forward it? to it. Let me ask you what you paid. Do you mind? Um, I got it at a dealer price, mm-hmm. and so it's not going to be a street price. So what's a street price if you can? Five ninety nine. Yeah, okay. You know, that area. The reason Joe, I'm saying you know even better than I do. Probably, yeah, well, there. Yeah. In, in our shop with uh, plain sights, it's five fifteen. 
With yeah. night sights, it's 580. Okay, the reason mm-hmm. I'm telling you this, or asking this, the military's paying, I think it's like $209 a gun. It's in the 200 plus range. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to give you an idea on a contract, um, you know, what the what the military will, what the government's going to pay for it. Um, so that shows you the difference there. Is that what they're paying on the M9, Doc, or is that what they're going to be paying on this, do you know? I, I think it's what they're actually going to be paying on the SIG. Interesting. Mm-hmm. The, the As I read through it, I mean, this, this uh, um, XM-17 document was 351 pages long, and I didn't find the information I needed until I got to page, you ready, 340. So I did a lot of reading yesterday. And uh, one of the most interesting things to me was that – price was the last and these were in a a hierarchy right there was the most important was on top and price was last and it was being factored in as an overall value Mm -hmm. which which makes me happy because it makes me think they weren't going with the lowest bidder and this handgun from a logistical standpoint makes perfect sense for the military it makes it makes absolute perfect sense this is a better combination they want a full-size gun and they want a compact gun. So imagine, let's call it a full-size duty pistol. You know, slightly smaller than the R9 probably. And uh, ding, that was a Remington joke. Nothing? You got nothing? All right. So slightly smaller than the, the R9, a full-size gun. And then they want a compact. So something, you know, probably between a Glock 19 and a Glock 26. Right. And this gun can be all of those things. This can be the full-size gun. It can be the compact gun with the full-size slide, like I carry my Glock, quote, 18, unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be the Glock 26 because everything is related to a chassis that is the trigger control unit. That's the serialized portion. That's the gun. Mm-hmm. And so the grips can come on and off, and everything else can change about the gun. So imagine, you know, you're uh, getting ready to spool up for a deployment and you go to the, the armory and, you know, they walk through and do some hand measurements, this, that, and the other thing. And they give you a list of parts to pick up and assemble this gun that's going to be just right for your assignment and for you. Pretty awesome. Yeah. From that standpoint, this gun beat everything else hands down. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really what they were looking for. Right. Even once you get to the frame size of mm-hmm. full-size compact subcompact there are then small medium and large exactly grip frames that can mm-hmm. further customize it that's exactly I, right I, I there are you know for a stock nine millimeter pistol there are two that i like better than that but nobody does everything this pistol does right really amazing right. Okay, I found it. U.S. Army pays $207 per pistol to Six Hour for the uh, XM-17 modular wow. handgun. Wow. 207 That shows you the markup, people. <laughs> it's, it, now, now, that may be a little bit misleading it, a little in, bit in some is, ways but... because I wonder what that includes. Well, because... and that's that was what I was getting ready to say. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't see a list. I mean, it may... That may be just what the strip is, the the, the bare bones of it. And then, Mm -hmm. of course, as you guys mentioned, they're going to have to purchase the parts for the modular side of it. Right. Uh, And so – Well, the other thing that they wanted included in this was what they called suppressor kits. Mm -hmm. And so there were X number of suppressor kits. Now, that's not suppressors. That's not what they're interested in. The, The suppressors are not part of this contract, and that's important to understand. But what the military viewed as suppressor kits was a 
site system, mm-hmm. whether that's just sites or a slide or whatever you needed, so that without tools, you could convert to a gun for suppressor use and be ready to go. So we're talking about elevated sites. Now, maybe that means every gun will have suppressor height sites on it. Or maybe these will be slides that have suppressor-sized sites ready to go, oversized sites that would just be swapped out. Again, as part of this, rotate the the pieces in and out as they're needed. Mm Mm-hmm. So you've got a, a unit that you're going to send out that may need sometimes that they're going to be suppressed. Sometimes they're not. You send them with two slides and ready to go. Threaded barrel all the time and, and rock and roll. Gosh. I'll tell you what. It's it's interesting to see. I want one now. <laughs> well, it, I want one. I'm excited. I've wanted yeah. one for a long time. because And, and, it's, and it's this very reason that I've wanted one for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a firearms instructor... Mm-hmm. The potential to have one gun that I can fit to a myriad of different circumstances is incredibly appetizing. So I can understand why it would be appetizing to the military as well. Mm-hmm. From a again, from a logistic standpoint, I don't think there's a better choice. Right. I don't know. We'll find out from a from a firing standpoint. And the fact that you know, I'm I'm guessing that I'm going to be a small grip size, and I can't find a small grip anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll see. Um, Supply may be uh, maybe difficult for a while. Yeah, it's probably true. Well, do you think that they will release the uh, the old big old M nine Beretta that well, allow people to purchase? Right. I mean, I, I got to tell you, that makes me giddy to a degree. And and, and again, I think this is a better choice mm-hmm. this P three twenty than the Beretta. But a chance to buy surplus M nine. See, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm gonna have like a few of those. Right. Yep. Big. Very reliable. They're excellent handguns. Sure, sure. Excellent. Yeah, Joe, you've probably owned one in your in the past. Yeah, um, and I've had, you know, like ninety nine dollar um, Berettas that were like surplus Israeli. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, but function fine. Yeah, they're big guns though. They are. They are huge. I mean, it's a service gun. There is no doubt about it's it. It's a brick. And, yeah. that, and that's the biggest problem that the military has had mm-hmm. with the M9. I mean, there's been some accuracy issues. There's been some long-term um, wear issues. But the biggest issue is dealing with ergonomics. Mm-hmm. And it's what the, the military calls shooter in the loop. You know, when, when, when they're testing for accuracy with real shooters as opposed to on a ransom rest, mm-hmm. it, it can fall apart simply because a lot of the shooters that the military is dealing with are not, you know, necessarily big guys. Right. Who's carrying handguns in the military? Officers and military police. Right. And so now you think about military police, there's a lot of female military police officers. Sure are. Beretta's huge. Yeah. Not the best choice. So, no. again, this is this is a smart move from that standpoint. We'll see what the protest period... Did you find anything out about that, Doc? About I'd asked you about that protest period. and Yeah, and I actually had it. I've got a... Uh, I actually have a handbook. <laughs> I bet you do on how to do that, and I I, I forgot to bring it <laughs> from work. Oh, shut well, sweet. I brought I brought it home uh, yesterday because we actually were at one point looking to do it, and then right. I, I actually we didn't record because I had to. Well, actually, not yesterday, but Tuesday. Top secret. Shh, shh. Yeah, well, no, it's something to do with China and having to call over there. But the the point <laughs> was. I, I thought, uh-oh, so I took it back because, you know, I didn't know if I'd need it um, or, you know, somebody. I just I, – I could just tell you right now, I 
I'd bring it home, leave it here at the house uh, for the yeah, show, for sure. and somebody would be coming down the hallway wanting to see it. But the the um, it, I'm just going to go off memory. The hundred days is is basically uh, for in the solicitation. Once uh, they win the award, uh, they want the. There's no. I never could find a specific time where they would say. You got X amount of days. Now, right. 100 days, basically, you can, I guess, pretty much do it with any time within 100 days uh, to, uh, you know, challenge is what I'm trying to say. Um, mm-hmm. And what we mean by challenge <clears throat> is like somebody that is uh, outside of the winning uh, company would challenge that specific award saying, well, you know, they shouldn't be awarded it either because of this and blah, 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 or we should be awarded based on this, you know, and, and it can be done pretty much by anybody, but it's done specifically. People are in there doing it that have tried to get in before. So therefore Beretta is definitely, in my opinion, going to right. go. They're going to be a challenger. They're going to be a challenger. Glock. Glock's going to be. will be a challenger. Exactly. STI. STI was one of the, the final threes, if I understand. Which correctly. is amazing. STI. Yeah. But again, you look at the STI pistol, the uh, the 2011 that they've been producing for years. Mm-hmm. It's a modular gun. Sure is. You can take the grip off of it just like you can the Sig P320. And so from that standpoint, modular as far as caliber goes, modular as far as grip goes. Mm-hmm. And, and what amazed me, Doc, as I read through this, again, I was looking for what the specific requirements were for submission. Mm-hmm. There were hundreds upon hundreds of pages that detailed the packaging mm-hmm. and the delivery dates and the email address of the person that you needed to contact to make sure that your shipment was received and the times that shipments could be received and the paperwork that needed to accompany shipments. Any of those things, I would imagine, if, if someone was outside of compliance with any of those issues, those are the kinds of things that could be um, looked at as, as being uh, – arguable as well because every one of those things was hey if you're not responsive within x number of days to these issues then you may be down selected immediately without further explanation exactly and so if somebody fails to reply to an email because they're on vacation it's over family they can dump the whole it. things over and yeah. and how much money again do these companies have in you know more than a million dollars and that right there is exactly right because you know it's like when we when we put in uh, to you know the way it works for us, I usually go on like a website called FedBiz, FedBizOps.com. They have white papers on there, right? And you go in, you see a solicitation, you you look at it, you think, well, we can do that, and you go bid uh, on it. If it's a new development where people are starting to work on it, then of course there's going to be the development phases where you're yep. giving them certain things. I, I've always found that when we do that. Um, and granted, it's not granted. It's not um, firearms. You know, we're doing it for uh, last one I did um, uh, full scale, hat. huh? Was it bulletproof hat? It was. Yeah, no. <laughs> it was actually the uh, NBC suit or CBRN suit, what they call okay. it. That's that one was a huge one for us. Um, and what that is is the uh, it's the chemical resistant. It's the it's basically a filter suit. Right. It's the one you put on when there's a threat for uh, nuclear, biological, or chemical. Uh, you know, uh, threats that happen. So, you know, nerve agent, for instance, and you, of course, they've got the the mask, you get the mask and all that. We don't do that. We're talking about the suit part of it. 
And then, uh, of course, it's got it, it chemically, you know, grabs the nerve agent to where, you know, it doesn't come in. Well, people say, well, why don't you just put a plastic bag on? Well, you can, but you suffocate. So it's got to be breathable. They want to have it where they can wash it and all this other stuff. Well, anyway, um, so so we put in a white paper for it. Uh, and in essence, they take it. They look at your design. You start going to what's called industry days. Now, I don't know if – I would imagine that they basically had to do the same thing with the firearms because it's it's the same all the way across the board. Um, and so you've got a number of one of those in new developments, and you come. They start down-selecting at that point where they see people, they don't really talk about the price. And so they keep going, and they keep going. So you're you're footing the bill. You're doing all the development. You've got the manpower, people traveling to do this stuff. Um, Then you start submitting certain things. You've got small samples at first. Then it starts getting bigger and bigger, and you have to scale up. Well, then you start dumping real bucks in there. I'm talking about real bucks. And like you say, millions of dollars. There's nothing. And so you've got to make the decision – well, we're getting ready to invest so much in this. What's the odds of us actually getting it? Because if we don't, we're we're just losing just tons of money. And and so, <clears throat> you know, you go into it like that. And then once you start, and then you, you get down-selected, down-selected. And, and you said there was like a final three with the fire. Same thing. Mm-hmm. We, we got in one of ours. <clears throat> we were in the final three. And they liked ours because it was quiet and, uh, it was thinner. You could wash it. It lasts longer. It did a better job. And we got in that, and then they came back, and they said, okay, what's the price? Mm-hmm. And, you know, because all along they're saying, don't worry about the price. Don't worry about the price. <clears throat> and then you give them the price, and then they tell you what they want to pay. And all of a sudden, <laughs> you can't do it anymore. Right. So you've got this great product. It's fantastic. So much came out of it. It's, a whole bunch came out of your wallet. And so it's <clears throat> at that point it's it's you know it's very tough. And then of course you know to get back to the um, uh, you know the the period where it can be challenged. Uh, the total's a hundred days. <clears throat> That's what they like to keep it to. If the military, if the government wants to go over hundred days, they can do it. Trust me. But <clears throat> they want to. It's stated that they want to make it as early as possible that they have a decision. But a hundred days is is like the maximum and so you know you you file a challenge with it and then they hear like the challenge and they you know from different groups anybody can challenge basically Uh, it gets expensive to do that too it binds things up sure there's also a lot of legal stuff involved at that point and um and of course it goes in stages it's like i forget how many days uh like 30 days that the government, you've, you know, once you put the challenge in, they want you to put the challenge in as early as possible. So if it happens that they announce that they've got the uh, the award going to SIG, and then Beretta says, oh, no. And so they put the challenge in that day or the next day. They want to do it as quickly as, quickly as possible. And then, of course, uh, the <clears throat> in written form, it's given to the military or the government as to why they're challenging. And then like up to 30 days and then it's like up to 40 days that the government has a response to it. And then there's another response. So it goes back and forth, you know? And, um, so it finally gets up to where they have, um, a situation where they have all the information they want. They shut down any more coming in and they make a decision on it. And, you know, so if it's a hundred days, they want to try to have it as early as they can, but a hundred days maximum, 
But uh, guarantee you, if they don't want to do that, they can go as long as they want, really. But it's a big it'll ordeal. Be interesting. Interesting to see what will happen. You know, this uh, this gun will be slightly different right. than what it is we see because mm-hmm. it will have a manual safety. Right. Um, there is no th- – there was there was speculation that maybe Glock was going to get by with their trigger tab safety as an mm-hmm. external safety device. Right. It didn't say a um, a safe, you know, a thumb safety. It didn't specify that. Right. It was very vague um, about that. Yeah. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what the final version looks like. And, and the SIG press release included some pictures – that did have a manual thumb safety. So that'll give another option for consumers in the long term, mm-hmm. not short term, but in the long term. Right. And I also will be interested to look at the results because I'm sure that either through a, a Freedom of Information Act or it'll be made public very easily, the results of all the testing. Oh, it'll come out. Yeah. It'll be interesting to look at. Yeah. You know, if you they, know the price they're paying, it'll. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, that's, well, I mean, that's a Remember, big thing. they've got to supply all the ammunition and everything. So SIG mm-hmm. had to send X number of guns and right. X number of, of compact guns and X amount of ammunition. And again, SIG has positioned itself well. Mm-hmm. Modular handgun, and they're now manufacturing their own ammunition. They didn't have to try and outsource ammunition to make this happen. They could tune their ammunition to their gun because that's part of this contract. Um, Really interesting stuff. So I'll, I'll be interested to look at the accuracy testing, you know, of both the the um, XM1042, which is the 9mm ball, and then the 1043, which is the, quote, special purpose, which I'm guessing is a hollow point. Mm-hmm. But this also includes um, uh, marking cartridge conversions, blank conversions. So now, if we haven't seen those out on the market already, now we've got, you know, conversions to be able to use these guns with UTM cartridges. Yeah. So we can be uh, doing training munitions. Very awesome cool. stuff. Really, really cool on the horizon. Um, fingers are crossed that uh, that SIG's ready for the challenge because it's going to be a big one. You know, and it, it really looks like the um, the DOD did their homework on this one too. I think they've chosen a, a good candidate. It yeah. really looks that way. Yeah. And like you say, as long as SIG can deliver, I think it's going to be a good thing. And I can't wait to get a gun in my hand and actually, you know, get it out on the range and shoot with it. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I I made the decision to go to the industry days as opposed to the SIG uh, range day right. out at mm-hmm. uh, SHOT Show. Um, so I didn't get a chance to shoot a SIG P320 then. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm looking forward to getting it. Again, this doesn't mean that it's going to be the right choice for, you know, concealed carrier for home defense. But de facto, because the U.S. military has selected it, that means a lot of people are going to choose it. Yes. And so I hope that it lives up to the to uh, what I hope it's going to live up to. Right. You know what I find interesting? The the government, they have this thing called the Barry Amendment. And what that amounts to is if you, in, in the government purchasing, no matter what it is, including military, I mean, it's real big in military too. If you can buy it in the U.S., they basically write law that you have to purchase it in mm-hmm. the U.S., from the U.S. And so, you know, so you've had the Beretta, Right? <laughs> it's Italian. And you got the SIG now, right? Another European. But the thing about it is it's 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 odd. If I were I don't know, do you think Smith and well, is Smith and Wesson really an American company at this point? I don't know they've right. changed. But but you would think almost like a a nice American manufacturer would try to take advantage of, of that, I guess. I don't know. You know, Ruger comes to mind. Yeah, that's a perfect example. Why didn't I think of that? But you yeah. know Ruger? They made the decision from the onset not to even enter the competition. Mm. They looked at it and said, too much money to spend, too little chance of success. Yeah. 
this isn't in our wheelhouse, we're out. And that's you know, it's probably a good decision, a, yeah. Probably a good fiscal yeah. decision. Mm-hmm. Probably the kind of fiscal decision that other companies we've talked about tonight should be making when it comes to making decisions about what they're gonna build and what they're gonna go for. Mm-hmm. You know, do what you can be the best in the world at. And Ruger's, you know, being a good uh, heartland, mm-hmm. heartland of America gun. I gotta I say, they are, and they've the stuff they've come out with recently, right? Yeah, they're 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 really angling it towards that. They, they made a good decision, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, so. interesting. Well, it's interesting to follow this whole thing, and uh, you know, we still get to follow it. You know, that's right. the goal. The cool thing about it. And now and I want one, Paul. If you're looking for you know a real good impartial um, opinion on. Mm-hmm firing the gun there's a website you could go oh what is it called average joe's handgun reviews (laughs) average joe has tested one and and i I can't wait to take a look at my thoughts compared to your thoughts and i'm debating i actually thought about this as we were you know cruising through i went to the website as you asked me to do as everyone should and i saw the pictures of the deadpool again and by the way if you're going to carry that savage i think you should back it up with the deadpool I mean, hey, look, if they shoot you and you go down, at least you're going to look good doing it. Right. Right. With those two. And and so I I thought to myself, it says search this blog. And I'm like, huh, nope, not going to do it. I'm going to get it and shoot it. And then I'm going to read it, Joe. All right. (laughs) Awesome. Well, we'll keep following it because it's 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 fun. It's fun to follow this. Very fun, I think. Um, Listen, let's go. uh, Let's go to a we had a, 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 a text that came in. Mm-hmm. I take texts. Um, it's from John Macklin. He's from uh, South Carolina. It says, can you discuss the pros and cons of the Mossberg shockwave for home defense? I also uh, saw it mentioned as a truck gun. Would this be legal? All right, so the shockwave. <clears throat> that is Mossberg's. Uh, well, you went to the shot, so why don't you explain it there, Paul? Well, I didn't go look at it. Um, but I, I did look at it when we talked pre-show on the web, and so I've got some specs on it. Um, we're talking about a 14-inch barrel shotgun mm-hmm. with a pistol grip only. It's not a it's not a drop pistol grip like uh, you like see a mare's on, leg. Yeah, it's like a mare's leg. It's like your your shoulder stock is simply cut off, mm-hmm. and it has an overall length of 26.5 inches. So we're talking a Mossberg 590, 14-inch pistol grip-ish shotgun. And the question that I always have on my mind, I was talking with John Richardson about it, is is it legal? Because it's listed as what? Any other weapon, right? It's not, no. And see, that was my original thought docket uh-huh. under 18 inches, but it's not listed as AOW. Oh. So, so I've got so this. So it's listed dis- as what? Just a firearm, right? It is just a firearm. Okay. So I've got this disclaimer that I'm I'm pulling off of Ammo Land. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not straight from you know law. If you want to know what the laws are for you, and you should check your local laws, your federal laws, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this is what it says on the website. Although the Mossberg 590 Shockwave is classified as a firearm under the Gun Control Act of '68, and is not subject to the provisions of the NFA. State and local laws may be more restrictive. Even though it's legal federally, the 590 shockwave may be considered a short-barreled shotgun or assault weapon by certain state and local laws and therefore illegal to possess. So you really need to do your homework on this. And when you start to throw this in as a truck gun, from a practical standpoint, I'm not even going to address that because, you know, let's stick with the legal for right now. 
you know, you cross jurisdictional borders and all of a sudden Man. you may be committing a felony. What a that would be a disastrous mess. Plus it just looks you know what I mean? It looks like it's got it screams that sawed off shotgun kind of look to it, right? Right. right. I mean, not not that the, we don't believe we believe that that should be legal everywhere. Actually, of course. So you know, but personally, um, I would not. I would pass on that. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, now, Joe, you you have uh, because your shoulder issues, you use a, like a cruiser, right? I use a cruiser in 410. Mm-hmm. Not the 12 gauge, of course. Right. Uh, and if you've ever shot like a pistol grip, now, of course, again, this is not your traditional pistol grip shotgun. So there's no perpendicular grip for you to hold on to. You're, you're basically, it's going back, uh, you know, at a break. And I don't know if you've ever shot one, but it's, it, it it's eye opening to say the least. Um, but, uh, I, you know, it, it, I say pass on it. If you want one, get one, you know, but be safe on your, you know, find out about the legal aspect of it. <clears throat> Let's look at it. He, he mentioned at the very beginning of it. Let's look at it from a home defense um, aspect. Uh, I, I, again, I'll just start and say I feel like there's a whole lot better options out there Yeah, uh, that you, you, you could use and not have the legal question and whatnot. Um, Paul, go ahead. You, uh... I'm I'm fully with you. The biggest advantage of a shotgun or rifle over a handgun mm-hmm. is going to be an increase in accuracy due to four points of contact, contact with both hands in two different spots, the shoulder and the cheek. Well, this eliminates that. So now basically we're dealing with a two-handed pistol that almost needs two hands to operate. Um, I don't see although the, quote, stopping power, unquote, would be greater with the 12-gauge, the likelihood of actually getting the hits would be much less. Right. And so I would opt, if if you need something that's small, portable, easy to move with, either go ahead and get that SBR and do it right through the NFA mm-hmm. or stick with a handgun, stick with a pistol. And the same for a, quote, truck gun, unquote. Yeah. Um, if you need something short and small and portable, you know, the, the NFA isn't necessarily a great choice for a truck gun because, again, crossing those political boundaries gets problematic. You've, you, to take it from one state to another, you've got to have the proper paperwork mm-hmm. for the specific trip, not just a general sheet of paper that permission slip. Now we're talking for every time you go. Um, you know, I, I think that there are better choices. Right. And now, Joe, um, you speaking from someone that does use uh, the Cruiser, which is the pistol grip type shotgun with no uh, shoulder stock. What what are some advantages actually of maybe using something like that, and where would you stop at at at, at the gauge? Well, I got to tell you, the four ten gauge, when I fire it, it pulls up almost out of my left hand, you know, which is on the uh, um, foregrip. So <laughs> that's my stopping point right there. Mm-hmm. Now, at short, you know, this is a short distance. Um, defensive weapon. It is not for um, geese or quail. Uh, And there are three-inch, five-round buck loads that out to 30 feet would be devastating. In fact, they'd probably be devastating all the way out to 25 yards. But with that pistol grip only on it, 
uh, it becomes a little bit more difficult to use. The misconception about it, uh, you know, back in the 80s, I had one in 12-gauge. I had a 12-gauge Mossberg, and I bought the pistol grip for it, took the uh, shoulder stock off, fired two rounds through it, and then put the shoulder stock back on. But back in the 80s, you could see this every week on uh, Miami Vice. Uh, Don Johnson and the other actor uh, carried them all the time. And they would shoot them from the hip. And I can tell you, if you're looking for accuracy shooting from the hip, I'm going to say, oh, maybe 7 to 10 feet. Um, Otherwise, if you're trying to get accurate fire let's say you're shooting at 21 feet or 30 feet, you've got to hold that up to eye level. And it becomes very, or I shouldn't say very, but kind of awkward uh, to do that. And the only advantage I see for it is size, maneuverability through a building. If you're going outside, though, you'd be better off with something that's got a shoulder stock on it. Yeah. Or if you want the size, like Paul says, pistol. I mean, uh, and let's face it, a lot of times people, like myself, I've got stuff stashed and staged everywhere. But the the thing about it is I, the pistol's right there with me all times, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. you know, and let's I, – I would say if somebody comes in, that's – if you've got it on you, that's what you're going to be going with. So, yeah. uh, anyway. Um, but if it's something you just want because it's cool – have at yeah, it. Go for it. Just, just know what your limitations are mm-hmm. with it. Just be, I don't, watch the legality. I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, the I think it's the Italian gun group is importing the Howda 410-45 long Colt. It looks like the old Savage auto burglar gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have really gussied it up. There's some color case hardening on it. Mm. It is not an NFI item because it's a 45 long Colt and the right. barrels are rifled. So mm-hmm. it is considered a pistol. So it's got very short barrels. And I look at this and I want it. Would mm-hmm. I ever carry it? No. <laughs> no. Would I ever employ it for self-defense? No, it's going to be in the safe. Mm-hmm. But it's really cool, and I want one. I want to take it to the range, and I want to blast away with it. Oh, there's it. no better reason than if you just want one. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. That's 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 how you get the sickness because then you, you you start out with what you think you should have for this, that, and the yeah. other, and then all of a sudden you're buying stuff just because you're wanting mm-hmm. to buy it. I mean, that's mm-hmm. and that's when the real fun kicks in right there. Reminds me of my first wife. I didn't need one. <laughs> I just wanted one. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, if you want to buy one and you do it, if you it, just again watch the legality of it, make sure in your state, you know, because um, it's kind of questionable still, I think. But they are, they look cool. They kind of reminisce. Now it's a pump action, but it, the the back of it, like I say, looks like a mare's leg. Kind of reminds you of in Terminator Two. Mm-hmm. When Arnold Schwarzenegger had the um, uh, had the big uh, glo- the glove loop on the um, on the the lever, and uh, had the 
back the stock was uh i guess sold off and remember he would flip it to uh chamber the next round it was a lever action shotgun uh so it kind of looks like that except it's a it's a pump action so but uh, to, to, to yeah. me it was reminiscent of something that uh al capone's gang would have it looks more like that yeah the warehouse during prohibition yeah you're, you're right it does look like that but uh hope we hopefully we answered your question as to what we think uh Again, great. If you want it, get it. Watch the legality of it for home defense. I mean, granted, I'll, if if that's all I got in my hands when somebody's attacking, I'll use whatever. <laughs> but, um, you know, I wouldn't put it in that role, you know, purposely, in my opinion. And I think we've all come to that consensus. Right. Um, okay, so uh, let's see. I wanted to quickly go over. been seeing a bunch of NRA solicitations uh people that are running for the board and um paul and i'll cut to kind of chatting about it today and uh and you pulled up information i really never even paid attention to i was questioning how many slots are open Mm -hmm. for nra board members that are going in now so there's a total of 75 people on the nra board Mm -hmm. and they're three-year terms and so every year there's 25 that come up for re-election and this year, there is also a two-year term, one seat that is being uh, replaced. And I don't know what the circumstances are behind that. Someone you know, may have resigned and then someone was appointed or brought in for a two-year term to finish it up. Um, so that is being sorted out as well. So 26 people are up for election to the NRA board Amazing. this year. Yeah. And, and so, you know, so you've been seen on Facebook a lot. Um, then, of course, I get emails too. Uh, about folks that are wanting to be on the board they're asking for your vote and mm-hmm. so who can, who can actually vote as an nr you have to be an nra member obviously you actually have to be an nra life member there you go that's what gets you your yes. voting credentials and that is not if you're right now in the easy pay program mm-hmm. and you're finishing up until you are actually a full life member yep, don't you're not a voting member right. for the nra board and, and your ballot will be coming in the mail it should be. That's you got correct. yours, what, today or yesterday? I, uh, yeah. Actually, like as you you know, were, were shooting me a message day, Doc, I was coming in from the mailbox and I had gotten my you know First Freedom, which is the magazine that comes right. with my membership and my ballot packet, which is you know a good chunk of pages, was in the center of that magazine. Yeah, I, I received mine after I got home. It was funny. We were talking about it. Perfect. Mm-hmm. But some of the folks that are out there that are doing it, I mean, um, I can tell you uh, Willis Lee – is one uh, that I, I vote for. Uh, I like him a lot. He's been on the board. He's he's on it now. He also, if I'm not mistaken, uh, been seeing where he has he met with Pence and Trump. Okay. And um, to to have some type of action that he's appointed a chairperson. I forgot what exactly what it's called, but <clears throat> I like that. I like that. I think he'd be a good kind of liaison between that and NRA. Um, he is a, a retired uh, military. I think it was lieutenant colonel in the army. Very smart guy from Hawaii. I uh, think he's a, a good a good vote. We could use some help in Hawaii. I say so. I say so. He does a good job. Um, but then there's some others out there. Do you have any notable ones that you? Uh... Yeah, there are a couple of, of Ohio specific folks that are uh, that make sense for me to vote for because mm-hmm. they're going to help push for the the Ohio issues. Uh, yeah. Some Buckeye firearms members, but you know the big one that I'm looking at is Adam Kraut. And uh, if folks have been paying attention to the internet at all, 
Um, you've probably seen uh, the Gun Collective, which is John Patton's group doing amazing stuff out there. And and Adam Kraut is an attorney and uh, a gun guy. And what I love most about what Adam is doing is he's really kind of bringing some sense to what it is that uh, people are, are concerned about and worried about. He has that ability to break down the law so that folks can understand how this really applies and don't necessarily buy into the fear-mongering and don't necessarily get um, complacent when there are things that they should really be worried about. So I think, hmm. you know, a good, sensible person to to put there with some some legal knowledge and a gun person makes yeah. a lot of sense to me. So that's who, I'm, that's who I'm looking at. I like it. Jay, you have any notables or not particularly? No, I'm, I'm not that involved in uh, NRA politics other than to tell people that they need to join and uh, – they need to bump their their membership up. Mm-hmm. If you're a life member, um, an email went out today uh, telling you that for 250 bucks you can bump that out now up now to endowment yeah. uh, hmm. member. That's not and bad. <laughs> I, I I would encourage everybody to do that. Sounds good. Sounds good. You know, uh, I I purchased that Sig P320, and uh, if you're buying a gun this month and you're not increasing your membership to the next level, I'd say shame on you. I think I think I'm concerned that we're going to run into a little bit of a soft time when it comes to people fighting for gun rights. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got the House, we've got the Senate, we've got the the, the presidency. <sighs> Finally, we won, right? Except that's not true. Right. Um, on a state level, we've got all kinds of battles that are still going on. And I'm not trying to fear monger, but I mentioned Hawaii. I mean, Hawaii in the past 365 days instituted the first, you know, gun registry where you actually have to register guns. How ridiculous. Right? You know, yeah. we've got California, we've got New Jersey, who I've got a lot of folks that come from New Jersey to train. We've got New York. Um, and those people have oppressed rights, mm-hmm. and they're not the only ones. So, so I, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump online and, uh, and take care of that tonight. I hadn't seen that email, Joe, so I'll, um, I'm sure it's in my inbox as well because the, the NRA isn't shy about contacting. No. Um, so I'll I'll check that out and and I'm just going to do that because that makes total sense. That's pretty good uh, as far as the amount of money too. Well, they had life memberships for six hundred bucks. I know that's crazy, month. man. Amazing. That is crazy. Makes you want to buy your child one, and you can. Right. You can buy your child. I know they had uh, for my son. Uh, I did that, and I forgot what it is. They ran a special for kids, you know, and so I ended up getting him one. It's been a while back, the lifetime membership on it. So. Very cool. Yeah, it makes a good gift. And they may not appreciate it, you know. You don't even have to tell them when they're young. But as they get older, you know, if they're going to follow in the old man or, or the old lady's footsteps, then they will definitely appreciate the. Uh, How what cool would it be to go to the NRA annual meetings when you're 35 or, you know, 40 years old? No joke. And have been a life member for 25 years. That's right. Would that be a trip or what? <laughs> so anyway, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um before we close up here, uh, I, I, I was going to say next next episode, next week, I hope, um, this weekend, uh, I was telling you guys uh, before the show started, I got a buddy that um, has been aching for me at this point to come and shoot something that he has now acquired. And it's uh, it, he had a Glock 21, <clears throat> and he bought the... Uh, conversion kit of for the 50 GI. That's uh, a 50 caliber uh, 
you know, handgun cartridge. Just it looks like a forty five ACP except a fifty, right? It goes to eleven. <laughs> and so um he wants me to come shoot it and uh I'm kinda interested in that. In my opinion on that it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be expensive for him <laughs> because I'm not paying for the for the rounds. But uh we'll we'll see about it. So hopefully we'll have a little I won't do a review as good as uh, what Joe does, obviously, but we'll talk about it anyway and kind of give you a little history on the 50GI and how crazy it is. But uh, I'm anxious to, to get to it, so it should be fun. What's the bullet weight on that? Uh, you got uh, the two that the, that he said he purchased. One was a 230 grain, so that's that's about like standard. The, right, and a 300 grain bullet. The mm. 230, I think, is running somewhere between 1,000 and 1,200 feet per second. Oh wow! Um, it may be listed at twelve hundred. I don't remember what the three hundred is going at. I imagine the load is pretty much the same, but uh, I mean, as far as um, you know, powder load. Of course, it's not going to be going as fast. Uh, but three hundred grains, you, you're you know, it's going to be a different feel. Uh huh. You know, for that. So I'm, I'm anxious to find out about that. I know it's expensive. I mean, he hasn't told me yet, but uh, <clears throat> I'm sure it's probably dollars per round I <laughs> but it, it should be fun it should be fun these are copper uh I believe both of them are copper um so solid copper rounds. yeah i believe so i know the 230 is but i'm not 100 percent sure about the 300 yet but i will know more about that uh, next time so it, it'd be kind of fun to get into the history of it a little bit and see what it is he like i say he, he had the glock 21 got the conversion kit which included the barrel springs guide rod slide you know that kind of stuff ice and, pack Mm-hmm. Ice pack, aspirin, <laughs> but it's uh, it's uh, it wasn't cheap. I'm sure he'll fill me in on how much you paid for all that. But uh, and and I don't see a re. I mean, can you imagine it'd be a, you know, a legal nightmare if you had to shoot somebody with a fifty? Mm. Um, and uh, you know, so no. <laughs> but it, he wanted it for fun. I, mean, I guess you can hunt with it. You know, I would say it. hunting maybe. Yeah, maybe there's an application for it. I don't know sure. the ballistics of it well enough mm-hmm. to understand. But well, I'm gonna look more into it. So we'll we'll talk about it for fun, just for fun. Why not? Anyway, well, uh, you guys, uh, let's see. You got anything coming up, uh, Joe? What you up to? Writing books, taking care of the dog, sleeping. Well, I'll I'll chat for a minute. Crickets? If you'd like Doc? <laughs> I hear the dog, but I don't hear Joe. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, so I've got this uh, Sig P320 coming, and I also uh, tonight scooped up uh, a Glock 18. Um, not a real Glock 18, but a quote 18, unquote. Uh, looks like AIM Surplus has some Glock 17 police turn-ins that have all been cut down to Glock 19 grip length. Gen 2s, which I love the Gen 2. Um, so when I saw that come up tonight for, I don't know, 350, I think it was, I scooped one of those up. So awesome. I'm looking forward. Yeah. I'm looking forward to getting to the range and, uh, running the P320, uh, probably shooting some video on it. Uh, we'll do some technical call out videos like I was doing at shot show and kind of point out the features and, you know, kind of give people an intro to the gun that everybody wants to hear about right now. Well, now that's fun. Yeah. That'll be good. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to this next week. Awesome. Now, Joe, are you back with us? Yeah. I've been here the whole time. <laughs> oh, you just didn't have anything coming up, huh? <laughs> no, not really. I got I got more stuff to write about than I have time to shoot it. Awesome. Well, will there be something next episode you might have that you can tease, or one coming up yeah, soon that you want to tease? Uh, could be our a, cliffhanger. A Colt DS two thirty eight special. Oh. Mm. Mm. Uh, could be uh, a double shootout of the EMP four. 
hmm? both standard version and the new for 2017 okay. uh, concealed carry or contour carry version. Mm-hmm. And I'll just tell you now, they're both great pistols. Mm. Um, so who knows? Did you did you get your hands on or the one of that that Taurus, the new 380 they've got? Uh, no, you hadn't gotten one. No, have they come out with them? I know they had them at the. Did they have them at the show? Yeah, I actually. Well, you know, this is this is an interesting conversation that you know maybe we carry over to next week. But sure. I heard some cool information about Taurus. I never made it to the booth. Um, I just had too much stuff going on and was literally getting kicked out of the show as you know guys were coming in with forklifts to break it down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't get there. But I heard some good things, not necessarily about that gun. Um, but about Taurus, and so I don't know if you want to go into an hour. Cliffhanger. Oh, beautiful. Cliffhanger. Yeah. I, I think I know what you mean, Paul, and all I can say is I hope so. Mm. Right, right. All right, well, that's we'll end it there, and you guys just have to tune in next time. <laughs> so this was a good show. We we went through a lot. Um, talked a lot about a lot of fun stuff, too. So. Gentlemen, I appreciate it, as usual. Got it. And uh, it's almost midnight, so I'm ready to go to bed. We'll catch you guys later. See y'all. Bye. That'll do it for this episode of the Gun Nation. Thanks for listening to the show. You can go to gunnation.us for all the stuff we talk about in the programs. If you've got a firearms purchase coming up in your foreseeable future here, please go give Manny a try at... Osceola Arms, that's O-S-C-E-L-A-R-M-S dot com, and tell him Doc sent you. That's Osceola Arms dot com. Alright, I told somebody I'd give them a shout out, so why don't we do that? Cameron Chester Walters. Giving you a shout out, like I said, it went on Facebook. You're famous. Alright. Till next episode, you folks. Take it easy and stay safe. See you next time.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.